the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. We shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and the success of liberty. American prosperity is the bedrock of freedom and security all over the world. An obligation to the heritage of liberty and dignity handed down to us by our forefathers. It's time for the Pro-America Report with Ed Martin on The Answer San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, uh, it's been a busy week already. It's just the second day of the week. A lot happening. Uh, I am um, hurrying around. Quite a bit happening with January 6th defendants. Uh, another senten- sentencing um, happening uh, on Tuesday. Um, obviously, a Donald Trump's uh, gag order. We'll t- I'll talk about that later on in the program. Um, blatantly unconstitutional. Just so wrong. It's crazy to say out loud. But um uh, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. But let's talk about Jim Jordan as a Speaker of the House. Jim Jordan and his wife, Polly, uh, were subscribers and supporters of Phyllis Schlafly back in the 80s, in the 1980s. In fact, the very first time I met Jim Jordan, that's what he talked about, how he and his wife early on in their marriage, they uh, supported Phyllis Schlafly used to get her a monthly Schlafly report delivered to their home. And it was before he was in politics. He was uh, not uh, in politics yet. And so he he talked a lot about how uh, big a difference it made for him uh, to have that in his life. And, uh, um, what he was, uh, how he actually remembered a couple of the topics, the issues that came up um, uh, that he uh, must have, he must have only been in his, he was born in 1964. So he must have been, um, you know, in his early twenties during that period. I wonder when he got married. I meant to look that up. Um, he, uh, let's see, let's see if I can find that in a bio of him. Um Let's see. I wrote down a bunch of notes on him and his family, and I cannot find them now. Um, well, there you have it. Anyway, so in the 80s, he got that Phyllis Schlafly. He got the schooling in the Phyllis Schlafly uh, in, the, uh, in her teaching, especially in her writings, which is very, very powerful and very important. And um, he is... Um, a champion wrestler. He's a champion wrestler. He won the national championship, uh, I think twice in the 1980s when he was at Ohio State University, uh, the Ohio State University, I should say. Um, I'm, I take it back. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. He's from Ohio. Um, and he did a master's degree there. He is, um, uh, um, sorry. He went to the University of Wisconsin, uh, was where he wrestled and was a champion wrestler. So anyway, um, here's what I will tell you as speaker. One, If you compete as a national champion wrestler, you have to be tough, meaning you have to um, be able to uh, go up and down and in and out. You, By definition, when you're a wrestler, you don't win every moment of wrestling. You don't win every aspect of wrestling. You win over time. Now, it's over three minutes. It's over a couple of rounds. 
but you learn you learn how to succeed by fighting through sort of mini failures. And so he is a massive, not just a good, but a hugely successful, you know, uh, there's only uh, what, 25 or 30 champions every year at the NCAA level of hundreds and hundreds and thousands of competitors. It's a big time spot. So that's number one. He's tough and knows how to succeed. Number two, he served in the legislature um, for uh, in Ohio for, I think, about a decade, maybe a few more years than a decade, because when he came to um, the House uh, in the U.S. House, he came into the U.S. House in, I guess, let me get it right, in uh, 2000 and uh seven yeah 2007 so he was over a year from the early 90s into the um uh 2006 or so he was in the house uh in ohio and then in the ohio senate now what does that mean well it means he knows how to legislate and that doesn't always mean it's something good some people will say oh geez you know these professional legislators you know what do they do they they know how to cut deals and they had to know well it, it means you know how the game is played at a high level and he served for a long time in the um, in the Ohio uh, House and Senate, and then he went to the U.S. House. Now, in the U.S. House, he has been a guy. He started out as the chairman of the Republican Study Committee, meaning in terms of leadership, that's where he went first. And he was conservative, a loud conservative. I mean, somebody who definitely knew uh, how to be conservative and be loud about it and be smart and still sort of move along. He also then founded the Freedom Caucus. And that was an even more conservative group. And um, and they are credited with pushing John Boehner to go and to have to uh, retire, to get out because he just couldn't deal with it anymore. And so my point here is that this is a guy. Oh, there it is. He and his wife, Polly, um, they um, they were married when they were. Yeah, they started dating when uh, he was 13 and she was the same age. They have four children. Um, that's what that's what I knew that. Uh, and um, uh, and uh, yeah, one of his sons is a uh, basketball player, a son-in-law, maybe he plays um, uh, professionally. He was an Iowa uh, uh, kid. And then he played at the university of Wisconsin and uh, that's his son-in-law, I guess his daughter married her. So anyway, he, um, they have four children, he and his wife, Polly. And uh, so uh, look, this guy's been conservative. He also cut a deal with uh, speaker McCarthy to become the judiciary committee chairman and to have the weaponization committee. I mean, you, I can sometimes I can say I wish more was done than than just talked about, even with regard to his uh, role. But I have to say this. Um, he's been on the forefront for a long time and he's been Trump friendly. He's been a Trump guy. He's not been one of these people that mealy mouthed around that played around. He has seen where the direction of the country is going. And he has been a what I'd call a Trump conservative which means he's more conservative than Trump on some issues. And he is, but he's also um, uh, on board with the Trump movement, America first. Now he's taken on the hardest job. I mean, I've told you before, speaker of the house is the only dictatorship in American life. You are the the king of, of that body. So uh, of the, of the levers of power in America, there are really only three and they're sort of, Two and they're really one and two halves. It's one is the White House, the executive branch, massively powerful. But you've got to deal with a lot of bureaucracies, a lot of things that slow you down in terms of your action. You you know, you're you may be the most powerful human being in history when you're president, but you got a lot of bureaucracies. Number two is the Senate. 
The U.S. Senate is 100 people who basically can act like a king anytime they want and slow everything down. But in the House, you, when you're the speaker, you're in charge of everything, everything. You, you can move every. So it's a very powerful job, but it's a very slim majority. So the same challenge that McCarthy had, the same challenge that made it so hard for uh, 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 Congressman Scalise to try to see a path, that's what Jim Jordan is going to face. He is going to face that. It's going to be a massive challenge. It's going to be almost um, impossible to see how he makes progress every day. It's really hard to see. and uh, But I, I think the reality is that he's the guy that can try. You know, uh, Elise Stefanik gave a speech and she said he's a speaker for this time in our country. That's about right, because he can hold the conservatives. He can look at them and say, hey, I am with you guys. I've been with you all in the past. I'll be with you in the future. Right now, I got to do this. He's going to have to do some things that are not going to be too popular with lots of conservatives. <clears throat> if you were an anti-Jordan guy, if you were an anti-Jordan guy, you um you would say, Oh, good. He's just going to run into the buzzsaw that is being Speaker of the House in the age. Remember, I've told you this in the age of social media and not 24 hour a day coverage, but 60 second every minute coverage that he is going to. If you if you don't like him, you'll say, aha, he's been set up to fail. That's what you'll say. But I think he's the guy that can do this. He's a guy that can actually do it at this time and be able to survive. I really believe it. And I think he's with the guy that can try it. And um, and I can see, you know, when when you, you you the reality of members of Congress, the House especially, is there's a point where their entire mind turns towards reelection. It happens about six months from now. But when you're the Republicans and you have power, it's a big deal to be in charge of committees. It's a big deal to be in the powerful side of the aisle. I'm not saying this is a good thing. I'm saying this because of raising money for your reelection. And when you see some of these names who initially said, I'll never vote for Jim Jordan. Hey, I'm so mad at him. Now they're voting for him. It's because they know in six months from now, maybe maybe call it eight months. But as soon as the new year turns, their minds and hearts turn towards reelection and turn towards raising money and turn towards making the argument to people that have power that they can stay in power. And that's what you're seeing. That ultimately, as chaotic as it's been, and throwing one speaker out, McCarthy, and not settling on another one, it can't go on for longer, much longer. They've got to come up with somebody, whether they like him or not. Jordan can hold the votes of the conservatives. He can get into the spot, and he can try to manage. And, you know, look, it's going to be brutally tough for him. I told you that. But I think that's what you're seeing. I think he I think he is. I, I agree with Elise Stefanik. I think he is the right man for this job at this moment. And he's going to give it a go. And we'll see. So there you have it. That's all you need to know today. Uh, don't forget, visit ProAmericaReport.com. Later on, I will be uh, posting an update on Mr. Coffee, Mr. Coffee, and trying to track him down. So uh, we'll take a break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Don't forget, ProAmericaReport.com. Over at PhyllisSchlafly.com, we also have a lot of the videos from our Eagle Council last month. Uh, they're getting posted up uh, one by one. They're really good. So you want to check that out. We'll take a break and be right back. Ed Martin, Pro-America Report. Back in a moment.
Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. You know, I've talked a lot about our event out in St. Louis uh, a few weeks ago, and our friend, uh, Colonel John Mills, uh, Army uh, Colonel Retired, came out there and uh, was uh, a hit. Uh, A number of people, uh, John, were telling me about uh, you and especially about what you've done. You know, book one uh, is called The Nation Will Follow. Um, Colonel um, John Mills, retired Army colonel, um, published that. If you go to thenationwillfollow.com, that's a website that curates that. And the second book, which is uh, part two, but um, that book is Firsthand Experiences Fighting the Deep State. Compelling book, important book. Well, the next one is um, the book two, is the war against the deep state and in this um in this one it's now saying okay what's what's going on here how do you actually uh take this on how do you stand up to the deep state and uh, one of the insights that Colonel John Mills, of course, the author, again, the nation will follow dot com. Um, uh, John, that I keep hearing people say is this you don't have to work. You don't have to arrive down at like the FBI headquarters to take on the deep state or go to Langley to CIA. It's actually this acting local county school boards, city councils, um, relationships that can yield the results again. It, you know, I guess um, give me that pep talk on how it will work. Thank you, Ed. And Ed, you, you wrote a magnificent uh, uh, intro uh, uh, and forward to war against the deep state. Thank you. Yep. Uh, but for 95% of Americans, they need to spend 97% of their energy right where they're at to fight the deep state. Everybody wants to bellow on social media about uh, the deep state. Uh, we have plenty of black belts, you, me, others who can fight the national battle, but for 95%, it's get the foundation of our constitutional republic is the seven common centers of gravity of all 3,300 county and county equivalents, school board, election board, county council, a registrar, sheriffs, judges, and prosecutors is the seven common function in all 3,300 counties. Make sure you have a clean county or county equivalent and the the battle at the national level will take care of itself. Now, at the national level, uh, also congrats, everybody needs to pat themselves on on the back. The number one thing the average citizen can do at the national level is assist in crashing the market capitalization of all these woke companies and pat yourselves on the back. We don't recognize victories enough. We don't recognize victories when they're happening Mm -hmm. right in front of us. You know, Disney, 120 billion loss in market cap. Iger is freaking out. There's a takeover in progress. Ladies and gentlemen, pat yourselves on the back. BlackRock, Larry Fink ran away from ESG, uh, you know, their woke program uh, in uh, in June of this year and says no moss. And, you know, board, board of directors, CEOs hate to see their names in public because usually there's a negative connotation. They hate it. And so they're running away. And that's because of citizens. I always say minimize, stop if you can, but minimize your purchase at these companies here. You know, if you uh, like Nike, uh, sorry, bad company, uses slave labor. Nobody, that's an elective purchase. Nobody should be buying anything from Nike. Disney, uh, minimize your purchase. If you're part of a the vacation club, you've already put money in. Become a shareholder so you can have legal status and zing and really fire up the uh, board and the CEO, which is what's happening right now. Uh, you know, minimize your spend at Target. Maybe Target's the only place you can go. Well, minimize your spend there, but you've done a great job, citizens. Keep it up. 
but the battle for most of us is local, but the deep state and in book two, war against the deep state, what has evolved is an unlawful fourth, fifth, and sixth branches of government, the administrative state, the unlawful fusion of federal law enforcement, intelligence, and big tech, and then the nonprofits, uh, just like the nonprofit um, where Rob Malley uh, came from, the now dethroned, he's uh, he's been taken out of his position, lost his security clearance. The Biden's chief Iran negotiator came from a nonprofit that was just riddled with Iranian spies. So those are the fourth, fifth, and sixth branches of government. And, you know, we have this great lawsuit going on, uh, Missouri and Louisiana hitting DHS and actually Joe Biden. Uh, you know, I'm uh, I'm about, about to drop a parallel filing because I've been named uh, in this big tech filing uh, where unlawfully DHS CISA and, and uh, FBI were targeting, silencing, and censoring Americans. And I'm about to drop my filing on that. Great progress there. Fifth Circuit just said, DHS CISA, you, CISA and FBI, if you want for national security purposes to talk with big tech, that's one thing. But in no way, shape, or form, it's absolutely unlawful and con- unconstitutional to give names, vet names, identify names of American citizens to be targeted, silenced, and censored, which is what's been going on. This is insanity. Great victory, though. This is really uh, Missouri and Louisiana, and I'm about to drop a filing here because I'm one of the named people. Uh, this is uh, this is how we fight back against the unlawful force, fifth and sixth branches of government. I also go over the foundations of the mass surveillance state in the 2007 to 2014 program, which was created. I was part of the team to establish mass surveillance, but it was supposed to protect Americans from foreign extremists. It's been weaponized against the American people. Uh, we're talking with again with uh, Colonel John Mills. He's retired Army Colonel. As he mentioned, he has a long career in the government. I think like a lot of people, um, we all sort of look at it and say uh, we we trusted for a period and things got off balanced. And so uh, book one of his uh, two two part series of two books, The Nation Will Follow um, and uh, Firsthand Experience Fighting the Deep State. And then the second book is uh, The War Against the Deep State, specifics on how to uh, proceed. Um, you know, uh, and Colonel John Mills, again, the nation will follow dot com is where you can see these books, but they're also available everywhere. They sell books, um, Amazon and others. Um you say you've told I've heard you say you see progress and you describe some of them. Right. Um, and you said school boards, different things. Is that progress? I guess one of the things is um, sustaining the progress and um, realizing that it's not going to just be solved at one election. Um, you, I know you're in Virginia. The Commonwealth of Virginia has elections this fall uh, in a few weeks. Uh, New Jersey has elections. Um, other other jurisdictions do, too. But it doesn't stop. In fact, the trick in my uh, estimation uh, of the other side is that you think, oh, the election is it. And you go back to your busy life. Yeah, that's the, exactly. That's been the challenge. They stole the country over 50 years. We put God, family and country first, which is the proper priority. But uh, you know, Romans 13, uh, as part of, uh, with God is, uh, you gotta stay involved in government and it's an enduring, never ending process. People say, I want election. I want to push an easy button. One election it's done. We walk away. No, that's how they stole it. Cause we, we surrendered the battlefield. We cannot do this. And I used to live in a deep red County, Prince William County, Virginia. The County council has become blue and crazy. The school board has become blue and crazy. We used to have a reasonable school board and school system. A good friend of mine is running for the Potomac district 
so uh, we uh, we got to get back to uh, Mario Beckles. We got we got to fight this. And just uh, just did my uh, uh, my absentee ballot, uh, like it or not, Virginia. Until Virginia can Republicans get control of the Senate in Virginia, they have barely control of the House. They got to get control of the Senate. Then we can change some of these election laws we don't like. But right now, we got to live with what we got. Get involved, get out there, vote, and uh, be an election officer. I'm a court-appointed election officer because of a successful lawsuit uh, in in uh, in my county. And uh, God, this is how we retake the country, uh, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know what else to say. Uh, there's no easy button. Uh, there was no easy button for the original patriots in the Revolutionary War. It was 13%, 3% who fought, 10% who supported. There was no easy button for them. There's never an easy button for victory. And the price of, of freedom is eternal vigilance. And it's not just on the battlefield in foreign countries. It's eternal vigilance right where we live. It's um, and I'll tell you the eternal. As you mentioned, I was very proud to write uh, the introduction I, or forward we called it in the book, uh, and and uh, encourage you all to go to the nationwillfollow.com and see both books. Uh, a retired Army uh, Colonel John Mills, his first book was "The Nation Will Follow: Firsthand Experiences Fighting the Deep State," and the one, the new one, just out just uh, days ago, uh, is book two, "The War Against the Deep State." Again, available everywhere you get books. Uh, check that out. I'm proud to be involved and very encouraged. Uh, I really encouraged. Uh, John at how people are taking up the mantle of sort of this local action and getting involved. So I'm up against the deadline, unfortunately. John, you know how it goes. Colonel John Mills, retired Army Colonel. Check out his books. I'll put them up on social media. We'll take a quick break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Been looking forward to this interview for a while because, of course, uh, they got me a copy of his book. And so I was able to dig into this book. Our our next guest is the author of uh, a book at Post Hill Press. Our friends there put it out. It's called Queen of Cuba, an FBI agent's insider account of the spy who evaded detection for 17 years. Peter J. Lapp is our guest. Again, Post Hill Press, everywhere they have books. Uh, welcome, uh, sir uh to uh the program how are you thanks i appreciate you having me on first a couple practical questions when a former fbi agent wants to go and write a book like this how hard is it i've often wondered i know there's a process of vetting but how hard is it because you probably have you know maybe not a hundred but you probably have lots of stories that could be interesting maybe not a full book but how, how does that process work when you go from wanting to tell a story to having to go and get sort of the ability to do it is there many hoops to jump through you know, there are because I had a clearance and obviously as part of my condition of employment, I agreed very early on, you know, when I started in 1998 to if I would one day write a book, which I never, ever had an ambition <laughs> to do, right. frankly, um, that I would give them the manuscript before it went out to the publisher and they would review it for <laughs> classified information. They're not there to fact check it. Uh, agree or disagree, but they're only looking for to make sure I don't publish classified information, which is why I think you saw, you know, some of the, uh, some things in the book were, were redacted 
uh, and blacked out, which, which I uh, was very happy to do and had no, no issue with. And I actually think it was actually a little bit sexy to be honest with you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with you on that. It kind of, um, it, uh, it did make, it did make you wonder, um, by the way, did you hear that there's a, I don't know if it's true, but there's a, supposed to be an AI that can, um, look at blacked out, uh, redacted text and be able to t- fill in that word for you. I don't know. That's true. It's just funny to, all right, but let me go back to the book. Tell us the story of this, uh, spy. Um, and in particular, um, the reality of um, I, I don't know if it was a failure. It, it means that she 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 was in place for a long time. Um, so it, I, maybe that's a failure or maybe it's just good spy crap. But walk us through this, uh, who this woman was and, and how this got to be where it was. You know, I think if we look at her arrest 10 days after 9-11 as a counterintelligence success, right. which it was because we 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 neutralized the threat, we prevented uh, her from doing any damage against, you know, our warfighters who were going off to Afghanistan. We also have to look at the, the 17 years and look at that as a counterintelligence failure. You know, 17 years in my mind was far too long and there's plenty of responsibility, uh, to in, in that part of the story, if you will, that goes around. Yeah. I think, I think what she did, she was near perfect in my mind in how she did what she did. And it, I think, led to it taking 17 years to Mm. to get onto her and to build a case. You know, she she really did very little to draw attention to uh, security folks and counterintelligence folks about her her anti-American views. Um, And and the more she built this reputation of being the queen of Cuba, being the go to person on DOD, Department of Defense Matters regarding Cuba, I believe it insulated her from any suspicions that people would have over the course of the 17 years. So her reputation really ad- acted as a barrier uh, against identifying her you know, far earlier. The um, after all of that time, first of all, can you can you can can when I read the book, I keep thinking, did can you can you tell um what she really got, like the limit of what she was able to do, uh, the damage. It's almost like it's almost like the web is too big. But I mean, can you and you have to you have to try that, you know, you have to uh, get her convicted, get to get her to jail. You sort of don't necessarily have to sort of catalog everything. But do you think we did? I think we did to the best extent we could. I mean, you know, the rest of it was made in 2001. And I right. think technology improvements, you know, from when she started in 1985, there were meetings that she attended, emails that she would have got that had been long since, you know, gone and, and out of our realm of, of control. Um, we we had, a, a I think, a, a pretty good damage assessment, uh, as full of an accounting as we could. When we asked her, did you pass this? Did you pass that? When we gave her specific things that we knew she accessed, many times she said, I don't remember. But if, if I knew it and I and I it was classified and it was good for the Cubans, I would have absolutely given them that information intelligence to them. So we kind of went to a default position of if she accessed it, it, it likely ended up with the Cubans. The most damaging non-human being um, intelligence that we could prove right. that she passed. And there's a difference between knowing she did something and, and proving it was the National Reconnaissance Office special access program, the SAP program, um, that, that was, um, it was so damaging. I, when I found it on her computer after we did the covert searches, the FISA approved covert searches. So we had right. legal authority. Um, I found that paragraph. I had not been read into that SAP. 
I had to be read in by the National Reconnaissance Office. And, and when I learned about what the SAP was, it was my wow moment. Uh-huh. I, I won't say what I really said because <laughs> it was that damaging. And I knew, and she frankly knew that, you know, if she was caught passing that SAP to the Cubans, she knew that it was a death penalty count and it was death penalty would have made her death penalty eligible. And and she didn't pass it. She didn't pass it. You, you think she did. She absolutely did pass it. She absolutely did pass it because we found it on her computer oh. and it was in the diary. I call it the dear diary part where she was kind of narrating from what she had memorized in the course of going to work every day. Which I mean, this is, yeah, this is it. But, but, but and I'm sorry, I set up. I got into the things I made my notes about. It's incredible. She went to the U- UVA and Johns Hopkins. Yep. She ends up. She yep. ends up in her brother and sister. Both are in the FBI. I guess Correct. her brother was an agent. The other one was a analyst. She herself was in the DIA. I mean, this is mm-hmm. as as um, how can and she got out of jail last six months ago or something. Yeah. How do you get out of jail? I, I would have thought it was either death penalty or life without. No. It's it's a complicated formula, and I and I understand a lot of the lot of the comments in a lot of the the media uh, articles. There's there's a a lack of understanding, and I can appreciate that. Look, I you know I, I'm one of the people that came up with the number twenty five in terms of twenty five years, right? And, and I own I own that part of the deal. I respect the plea agreement that the government and her entered into. Uh, I'm, you know, January 7th of this past year was a, was a bad day for me because she was walking free. Mm-hmm. And frankly, you know, if I knew what I knew then, I, I don't believe she's, sh- I think she should feel very lucky for walking out of prison. Right. That being said, the, the National Reconnaissance Office wouldn't allow us to use the details oh, of that special access program I as you. part of our prosecution. And, you know, pro- the venue is also, I know this is getting kind of legally nuanced, yeah. but. You know, this was prosecuted in D.C., and right. the U.S. Attorney's Office had to think about the jury and what a what a jury of it, her peers in D.C. You know, sentenced her to death, and and the likelihood of that happening was going to be probably mm-hmm. no. So we came up with a number of twenty five years, and and you know, un- unfortunately, you know, again, I think she's lucky to be out of jail. I don't think she feels lucky, but I I believe she should feel lucky. And I, I do one of my biggest regrets is not being able to have better evidence that would have Got granted more. us yeah. a thirty year prison, a thirty five yeah. year prison. I mean, you know, it's uh, but we we did the best we could. Real quick, um, I'm almost out of time, and again, I, I I'll make sure to put up on social media and and link Thank to you. it uh, uh, the uh, the story. So the book is called The Queen of Cuba, Post Hill Press, uh, retired FBI agent Peter J. Lap. Um, it, it, wh- why did she go for Cuba? I know she was Puerto Rican descent, but she was born, I think, in Germany. Is there? It, I didn't catch it. I'm, I have to admit that I read books by jumping them around a bit. Was there some mm-hmm. aspect of Cuba that that she thought that was important to to her? Cuba was the conduit. You know, oh, if, if the Chinese okay. or the Russians reached out to her, you know, through this this American woman, Marta Velasquez, who has been indicted and has uh, lived, been living in Sweden, you know, since Anna pled guilty. Uh, Cuba was the immediate conduit. She, okay. in my mind, is more anti-American. I got you. Versus okay. pro-Cuban. And I think I that that is something that is uh, what my, I hope that my book uh, communicates to the readers is that yeah. this this person you know really hates our country and mm. and hated it and probably to this day continues to hate it. 
It's uh, it's really compelling. Uh, thank you for writing it. I'm sorry we're out of time. Very quick. Thanks for sneaking some time out in your busy day. Uh, we were talking offline. So uh, Peter J. Lapp uh, is the author, retired FBI agent, and uh, it really re- it reads like a it reads like a uh, thriller. It's extraordinary the uh, the facts of this case. Again, the Queen of Cuba from Post Hill Press. Our friends over there, retired FBI agent Peter J. Lapp. Uh, his book. You can find it everywhere they sell books. We've got to take a break. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, presenting a daily conservative pro-family perspective since 1983 and continuing the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now, from the Phyllis Schlafly Center Studios, Ed Martin. The sham indictment of Donald Trump in Washington, D.C. may be just one of the indictments facing him, but this one in particular has given many Republicans a sour taste for the federal government weaponized for political gain against them. The army of prosecutors going after Trump include campaign donors to Joe Biden, and their indictment is as contrived as any ever seen in federal court. Joe Biden's politicized DOJ even demanded that the court gag Trump while he campaigns for president, which would infringe on the First Amendment rights of all Americans to hear what the leading candidate has to say about vital national issues. As Trump summarized on his truth social platform, so based on yet another radical left hoax, I'll be the only politician in American history not allowed to speak. The charges against Trump pretend that he entered into a conspiracy, which means an actual agreement with others to do something unlawful. Disputing an election, speaking out against suspected election fraud, and encouraging others to do likewise, this is protected by the First Amendment and is not unlawful. The Biden donor prosecutors misuse the conspiracy charge to litter the indictment with statements and actions by people other than Trump and then wrongly accuse Trump of them. Charging someone with criminal conspiracy based on the actions of someone else can be a trick misused by prosecutors when they lack criminal evidence against their target. This indictment is a textbook case of lawfare. Lawfare is a word made out of a combination of the words law and warfare. And it describes when the left uses excessive litigation to punish political opponents. Trump has proven in the past that he doesn't take kindly to efforts to silence him. But a gag order from a judge during the campaign could spell disaster for both our legal system and our election system. The future of Donald Trump is not the only matter at stake here. This is bigger than even the larger than life 45th president. This is about the way Americans view our judicial system. And every eye is watching for the outcome in our nation's capital. From Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, this has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report with Ed Martin. Election fraud has the power to destroy the America we know and love. Never again can we allow an election to be stolen. At phyllisschlafly.com, you'll find reasonable, workable strategies for assuring the integrity of every future election. Visit phyllisschlafly.com today. Thanks for listening, and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report.
Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Hey, um, we got to finish up. I have to tell you the story. I was over in the federal courthouse uh, the other day uh, on the day um, on Monday uh, when they argued the uh, matter of uh, Donald Trump's uh, so-called gag order. And it was a motion from Jack Smith, the prosecutor, saying Donald Trump should be uh, stop. He should not be able to comment on this uh, ra- on this uh, uh, trial. And um, it was, I guess, a zoo. The, the, the hearing was like a zoo. It was uh, out of control. Uh, but ultimately, the judge, who is a Obama appointed, a very liberal, very anti-Trump a judge, it seems, um, made the ruling that to gag Donald Trump and basically said that Donald Trump and his surrogates and his people, whatever, cannot um, speak about uh, the judge, the proceedings, any witnesses, the prosecutor, all this kind of stuff. Sweeping gag order. The media is trying to say it was a narrow gag order. It's a sweeping gag order. But here's what you need to know. And here's where the craziest part about this. And we'll finish up uh, today on this. It's one thing for there to be a need to stop publicity um, uh, in the mat in a case because the jury um, could be uh, impacted or, or otherwise. That's not what the judge is saying in this case. She's talking about the, um, the, the, the participants. But here's the problem. They chose to proceed against President Trump, not two years ago when they could have, but just this last year in the last six months. And the judge decided to set the trial right in the middle of the campaign in early next year. So the decisions of the prosecutor in the court have put the defendant in a position where he actually has a right as a candidate for president, as a candidate for office, to say what he wants to say. And and the fact that they chose when to do this means that they now get to cho- choose to silence him. I mean, you see what I'm saying? You, it's one thing to decide to wait. And as Donald Trump has said, election interference, that's completely how it feels. When you have someone who's running for office and the people that are uh, opposing him for office, wait until the time where it's the least convenient for him because he's running for office. And it's also most effective for his opponents. If he gets silenced, not just tied up, it's actually not appropriate to be tied up in terms of the amount of time and energy and money and all you have to spend on this. But actually that's, that's one thing that's offensive and should be, you know, categorically, it should be dismissed as inappropriate timing because of that. But now it's also including a gag order. I mean, this is not, what America should look like, whether you think the argument everybody acted in good faith. I haven't heard anyone say that, but I'm sure they will. That everybody acted in good faith, that everybody was really being on the up and up in the timing of these, you know, case one after another, that they weren't just timed to mess up Donald Trump during the run up to the election. It's hard to see in my, with my theme of distrust and verify distrust, distrust, then verify. It doesn't look I can't trust them that they say oh, it was just coincidence. It feels like they waited to time it in such a way to damage him and to cause him to have an impact on his election. And now they're doing it to gag him. I mean, it's absolutely mind boggling. And there should be heightened protection. There should be significantly heightened protection for a candidate for office. <clears throat> excuse me, so that he or or she, if it was a she could uh, move ahead with their campaign. 
It should be almost the opposite. It should be like you could go into court and say, Your Honor, they're charging me with these things now. There's no real impact if we wait another six months. Let's do this after the election. And the judge should say, Yeah, yeah, you know, we have an interest in having our election system work. We're not going to let that happen. And it's the opposite. It's the opposite. It's incredible. It's absolutely incredible to watch. It's terrible for the country. And the world must be looking at us and be thinking, holy cow, you know, these Americans, they they had the crown jewel. They had the crown jewel of envy of the world when they had a, a rule, the, the Constitution and the rule of law and our founding values that gave us this incredible system of living together that respected property rights, respected liberty, imperfect, imperfect. We've had to struggle with aspects of it, but in general, it's been imperfect on its way to more and more perfection. How about that? That somehow our founding values, along with the constitutional rule of law, made it so we were over the decades and centuries closer and closer to perfection, knowing that as humans, we'll never get there. But we're getting better. We're changing the laws on on slavery. We're changing the laws on the rights of women to vote. We're changing the laws to protect uh, property from being taken. We're we we're developing the doctrines of of due process to have things like Miranda warnings and other warnings and protections. So our system, Constitution, rule of law, and based on the founding values that we can seek perfectibility, was working. And now we're in this massive corruption, a corruption of our system, a rupture of our system that has thrown our nation into a, a, a upside down. It's upside down because of what's happened. And we ought to be so concerned about it. We ought to be up in arms about it. And you know what I saw? I saw the the, the media parroting the line that this gag order of Trump was just a n- narrow gag order. Not too big a deal. I don't know what people are talking about. Not a big deal. When it was, it's a dramatic thing. It's a dramatic disservice to the country that this is happening. It's a terrible idea. It's a terrible idea that this is happening. It's terrible for our country. And that the media and others aren't objecting more strenuously is is stunning to me. It's mind-boggling. It's mind-boggling. All right. Uh, we got to wrap things up. Let me say thank you, as always, to Mason Mohan and Ryan Hyde, our producers. Also, don't forget, visit ProAmericaReport.com uh, for updates there all the time. Also, visit PhyllisSchlafly.com, where you can see and watch the video from our great Eagle Council last month. Uh, it's all there, PhyllisSchlafly.com. And we will be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Don't forget, ProAmericaReport.com, PhyllisSchlafly.com, and a whole lot more there. Uh, talk to you tomorrow. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.